The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, high school was a hard time for all of us. It's a time to be cool, a time not to be awkward. But my name, my last name was Chan, and Chan is one of the most common names on the planet. And when I was in high school, I was in a class where there were four Chans, and I was one of those four Chans. And the teacher, when he marked the role, when he came to the Chan bit, would just go, Chan, 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 just like that. And you're meant to know which Chan you were and just say present at the right moment. He wouldn't even mention our first names. And not only was I, was I just one of four chans, I was the last of those four chans. So it was very degrading, very dehumanizing, very disrespectful. And today's topic is respect. And our question is, how can we find extraordinary respect when no one gives us any respect? So welcome again to our May series of talks. Our topics this month are justice sex, respect, and wealth. And each week, one by one, we'll go through these topics, see what the Bible has to say, in particular the book of Ecclesiastes, and this will come in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by a time of about question and answer from you guys for about 10 minutes. And our topic today is respect. And our question is, how can I find respect, extraordinary respect, when nobody gives me any respect? And we can define respect as giving someone status, worth, and dignity. And in the Bible reading we just had, there's this very short story about respect. And it goes like this. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born into poverty within his kingdom. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The Bible gives us a very short story about a young man who becomes king, a poor man who becomes rich, a man who starts in prison and ends up on the throne. So it's a rags to riches story. It's a Hollywood story. It's a success story, but the man can't find any respect. And he's probably asking, what do I have to do to find respect. And his question is our question. And it's a question that the high school teacher asks. It's a question that the mother asks about her teenage daughter. It's a question that the grown son asks to his mother. What do I have to do to get respect? And that's what we're going to answer today. And you can see in the outline in front of you, there'll be three parts to this morning's talk. In the first part, we'll look at, well, what is the problem that we're talking about? In the middle part of the talk, we'll look at, well, what are some ordinary, normal ways of trying to solve this problem. And in the final part of the talk, well, what's an extraordinary way of solving this problem? What extraordinary ways does the Bible give us to solve this problem? So let's begin with the first part of the talk. What problem are we talking about? Where do we get this respect that we look for? Well, according to the United Nations, we get it from human rights. According to the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, every human being is born equal and free and has equal dignity, status, worth and respect. So according to the United Nations, we're more than just molecules. We're more than just a sum of our body parts. 
we're more than just another species of animal on this planet. Each and every human being has status, worth, dignity, and respect. And that means we can't buy and sell humans like animals. We can't do human trafficking. We can't have slavery. And we shouldn't have child soldiers because each and every human being, no matter how small, no matter how little, has to be treated with dignity, worth, and respect. But the problem is this. What is this based on? Where do we get this dignity, this worth, this respect from? What is the basis of this declaration? When I went to the United States to do my PhD studies, this was a long time ago, I had to set up a United States bank account. And I don't know why, but in the United States back then, you, you had to have an interview with a bank manager to set up your personal bank account. And I was very excited about this. So when I went to the interview, I got to meet the bank manager, but he wasn't as excited to meet me. Like, as he's sitting there, he's thinking, he could not have been more unimpressed with me. I was wasting his time, his space, and his money. Like, instead of meeting an American, he was meeting an Australian. Instead of meeting a worker, he was meeting a student. And instead of someone putting in thousands of dollars, I put in one dollar for my initial deposit. And he was so unimpressed. He would have been more excited if I'd been a monkey sitting in front of him. At least he could have sold the monkey for a hundred dollars to the zoo. The monkey was worth more to him than I was. I had no value in front of him. I had no dignity, no worth, no respect from this man. And I could have waved the United Nations chart in front of him. Hey, dude, you've got to treat each and every human being, no matter how little, how small, with equal dignity, worth and respect. But then he would have asked, but what is this based on? And that's the problem facing us. What is our dignity, worth and respect based on? So let's come to the middle part of the talk now. There are two typical ways of answering this problem. The first way is to say what well, our dignity, our worth, respect comes from others. It comes from the status that other people give us. Now, just last month, I finally gave in and I got onto Facebook. After 10 years of my friends pressuring me, I finally got onto Facebook. And when I got onto it, I thought, this thing is amazing. Because <laughs> you can see what your friends have been up to. You can catch up with friends that you haven't seen for 20 years. And now, because you can get on your phone, when I wake up, I'm on Facebook. When I'm eating breakfast, I'm on Facebook. When I'm catching the train, I'm on Facebook. When I'm at work, I'm on Facebook. When I get home, I'm on Facebook. When I'm eating dinner, I'm on Facebook. When I'm watching TV, I'm still on Facebook. And then I'm lying in bed, going to sleep at night, I'm still on Facebook. Oh, my wife hates it. She says, you're always on Facebook. We never talk anymore. So it's all right, because I got her into Facebook now, and so we can talk to each other via Facebook. But the way Facebook works is this. You make a post, and this is what it's all about, the bling, the like. You've got to get the like. And when the like comes, neuroscientists say, it gives you a surge of dopamine that gets you happy, and it addicts you to the posting. And the whole point of the like is this. If you make a post and you get no like, well, it's a pretty pointless post. You may have been just speaking to an empty room. That post is almost worthless. But if you can make a post that gets liked, now that post is worth something because it means people noticed it. They recognised it. They liked it. 
And it's the same with dignity, worth, respect and honour. We need people to like us, to recognise us and to know that we're somebody. According to Hugh Mackay in his book, What Makes Us Tick? The 10 desires that drive us. There are 10 basic human desires that drive all of us. And the number one out of all 10 of the desires that drive us is this. The desire to be noticed. The desire to be recognised. The, de- the desire to be somebody. The desire to be respected. It's the professional tennis player waving to the crowd. It's the graffiti artist tagging the wall. It's the bully demanding your lunch money. It's a streaker running out in front of thousands of people. It's the philanthropist making a big donation and being acknowledged for it. It's the protester with the signs and the chants. It's the doctor finally being accepted as a surgeon on the board of surgeons. These look like completely different human behaviours on the outside... But according to Humakai, it's the one same basic human desire that drives all of these behaviours, the desire to be noticed, the desire to be recognised, the desire to be somebody, the desire to be respected. But there's a problem with this desire to be respected. According to Humakai, it's an insatiable desire. How much respect do we need? Like, the person who gets 10 likes wants 100 likes. The person who gets 100 likes wants 1,000 likes for their post. And how many letters and titles do we need? The person who has five letters after their name wants 10. The person who has 10 letters after their name wants 15. It's an insatiable desire for respect. But more than that, according to Hugh Mackay, we usually don't get the respect that we deserve. We don't get the respect that we think we should have. And that creates this vicious cycle where we demand respect and we become needy And that behaviour makes us less respectful. It makes us less likeable. So that's a great irony. In the desire to be liked, we become less likeable. And the desire to be respected, we become less respectable. So if we can't just get respect from others, then the second answer to our problem is usually this. The respect has to come from ourselves. It has to be a self-respect that we give ourselves. Now, when you go to a wedding, there's a convention. Men are supposed to dress up when they go to a wedding. So that's at least a collared shirt, maybe a tie, maybe a jacket. And so a few years ago, we went to a wedding and we managed to get our number one son dressed up. We managed to get our number three son dressed up, but we could not get son number two dressed up. He insisted on wearing what he wanted to wear, which was a red tank top, denim shorts and rubber gumboots and so my wife and I we were horrified turning up the wedding like this but when we went to the wedding everyone was saying look at Cooper he got more attention than the bride got because there's the bride in white boring but look at Cooper red tank top denim shorts gumboots and everyone was saying good on Cooper wearing what he wanted to wear. And there and then, every parent's thinking, oh, why don't we just let our kids wear what they wanted to wear? And men were thinking, oh, why didn't I get to wear shorts and a T-shirt to a wedding? And see, that's the Western narrative, isn't it? Good on you for doing what you wanted to do. Don't listen to what other people think. Don't listen to what other people say. In the end, it's your opinion that counts. In the end, the respect has to come from you and not from other people. 
And just in case you're wondering, this is the message of every teenage movie out there right now. And so last year's teenage movie was called The Duff. And Duff stands for Designated Ugly Friend. And in the story, the tagline is everybody is somebody's duff that you work out sooner or later. There is a hierarchy of respectability. And no matter how cool, how respectable you are, someone will be above you, more cool, more respectable. So you end up being someone's designated ugly friend. And so what's the solution to this? While finally the lead character, Bianca, works out the solution, of course, is not to worry about what other people think about you not to worry about what other people say about you. In the end, it's your opinion about yourself that counts. And this is her solution. In the end, it isn't about popularity or even getting the guy. It's about understanding that no matter what, only you can define yourself. Or as the jock Wesley puts it in his words, you're only as awesome as you think you are. So it's your opinion that counts, not the opinion of other people. And it's a serious message as well, because this is the Respect Institute, and it reaches out and serves people who have been victims of horrible abuse, of bullying, of domestic violence, and it's saying you are worth something. You do matter. Even if you're worthless in the eyes of other people, in the end, if you can find self-dignity, self-respect, then you do matter. You are worth something. And the Bible sort of hints at the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, you know, don't pay attention to every word that other people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing you. You know, in the end, people will say nasty things about you. Don't listen to them. It doesn't matter. The respect has to come from somewhere else. But there's a problem here with this message alone. Because in the end, we're not an island. We do need the support of our friends. And even the movie ends with Bianca, the lead character, becoming popular and ending up in the in-crowd of friends. And she gets the hot guy, the jock, Wes. So it's a contradictory message. In the end, it does matter what other people say. In the end, we're not an island. In the end, we are a community. And so we're back to the original problem. If self-respect isn't the whole story, where can we get our respect from? And so this brings us to the final part of the talk. And here the Bible suggests that we can also get respect from, number one, from God. Now, this is a plastic Yoda. It's about 30 centimetres tall. And my son saw it in a shop. And he said, Dad, can you buy me the toy Yoda? So we went to the shop, all excited, on a daddy date. And I was going to buy him the Yoda. And that's when we looked at the price tag. And it was $130. Oh. And so we couldn't, couldn't buy it. Even my son knew we weren't going to buy that. And so we just walked away. But then I thought, what just happened there? In terms of intrinsic value, what is the value of Yoda here? In terms of intrinsic value, if you melted Yoda down, it would be just $5 worth of plastic. So it's an extrinsic value we're talking about. It's a value that other people were prepared to put on Yoda, and that value is $130. And in the language of behavioural economists, they say that that $130 actually represents this. It represents that I would, as a buyer, prefer to give up $130 and gain the plastic Yoda rather than keep $130 in my pocket and not have Yoda. The psychology of the transaction is that I prefer to lose $130 and gain Yoda than keep $130 in my pocket 
and lose Yoda. Now, what is our value? What is our value? Well, in terms of intrinsic value, really, really, what is our value? If you melted us down, we're really just a bag of carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. We're really just, in terms of intrinsic value, a bag of fertiliser that you can probably buy for $20 in a nursery store. That's our intrinsic value, $20. So if we don't like that, we actually have to look for extrinsic value from somewhere else. But the problem with extrinsic value is it's performance-based. We have to live up to our own expectations and the expectations of others. So it's a very flimsy, insecure value that we now place on ourselves. But with God, with God, the Bible says that changes everything. Because with God, we do have intrinsic value. We're made in the image of God. So each and every person, no matter how little or small, is in the image of God. And the way we treat a person is the way we treat God. We answer to God to how we treat people. So we have intrinsic value. And we have extrinsic value because the Bible says if we decide to love and worship Jesus, God adopts us as one of his children, one of his special people. That's extrinsic value. And the price that God is prepared to pay is the life of his own son. To make that happen, God gives up his son Jesus to die for us and then rise again from the dead and live for us. So that's what the Bible is saying, 1 Peter chapter 1. You were redeemed, or you were bought, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were redeemed, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Or in the language of behavioral economists, they would say this, God would rather lose his son to gain us as his children than keep his son and lose us and not have his children. So let's say that again. In the language of behavioural economies, God would rather lose his son and gain us as his children than keep his son and lose us as his children. So there's a very special status that God puts on us. So the Bible says with God we can get respect, not just from friends and family, not just from ourselves, but also from God. But then what do we have to do to get this? Well, number two, we have to respect God. Now just imagine if you asked me what I did on the weekend, and I just talked and talked and talked, and then didn't ask you what you did on the weekend. Just imagine if you asked me what I did for work, and I just talked and talked and talked, and then didn't ask you what you did for work. Just imagine if you asked me about my life and how I was going, and I just talked and talked and talked, and then didn't ask you how you were going. That wouldn't just be boring. That would be disrespectful. I haven't respected you. I haven't acknowledged you. I haven't valued you as a person. And it's interesting that children, when they grow up, they begin with this very egocentric universe as if the world revolves around them and their needs. But as they mature, they have a Copernican shift Suddenly they realise, hang on, I'm, the universe doesn't revolve around me, it revolves around the needs of other people as well. It's the same with adults. As we begin, we have a very egocentric universe. We think the universe revolves around me and my status and my importance. But as we mature, we too should end up with a Copernican shift where we think, hang on, I think this universe revolves around God. It's all about respecting and honouring God. God. And that's true wisdom and that's true maturity. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is saying. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore fear or respect God. And what it's saying is this. Much dreaming, so the way we think about ourselves, and many words, what other people say about us, well in the end they're meaningless. They don't last. They're 
just a puff of smoke. Therefore, what does matter is respect God. Respect and honour God. So to remember our original question this morning, it was this. What do I have to do to find extraordinary respect? And we've said ordinarily we look for it in others or in ourselves, but the Bible gives us an extraordinary way to get respect, and that is one from God. But to get that, we also need to reciprocate and respect, honour and value God. Now, as you probably know, I have three young boys, Toby, Cooper and Jonty, age 8, 6 and 4. And just last weekend, I, for work, I had to go to Perth. And so I had to fly to Perth, which is a five-hour flight. I had to fly, fly back from Perth, which was a five-hour flight. So I had 10 hours on a plane to read. So I finally got to read a parenting book that I've always wanted to read. As I'm reading this parenting book, it's telling me I need to spend more time with my children. And I think, this is the irony. The only way I got time to read the book was to take time away from my children. Now this book is telling me I need to spend time with my children. But had I spent time with my children, I wouldn't have had time to read the book. And then I would have known I need to spend time with my children. So that's how these parenting books work. But, you know, you don't need to read parenting books. They all say the same thing. They all say the same thing. You need to spend time with your children. Well, why? Why do you need to spend time with your children? Well, if you do, they flourish. You can see it. They thrive. This smile comes on their face because suddenly they know they are special. They are recognised. And that's how they thrive. They flourish. And we too thrive. We too flourish when we know we're special, when we're recognised, when we have status, when we have worth, when we have honour. But where do we find that? Well, we can look for in others. We can look for ourselves. But that's only part of the story. It's only the start of the story. But the Bible says... God gives us that special status that will make us thrive. And it means so much to God. He gave us his son to make it happen. So that's how special we are to God. And that is a status. That is a respect. That is an honor that we can't give ourselves, that we can't get from our friends. But it's an honor. It's a status, a respect that God is prepared to give us. And it means so much to him. He gave his son, Jesus, just to make it happen. Is respect, as against self-respect, really important? Does not the Bible, for example, suffering servant, Jesus washing the feet of others, etc., show that what other people think is irrelevant? Loving others is important. Needing others' approval is not. Yeah, so there's a fuller story, isn't there? So on the one hand, respect from other people is important uh, because it does affect the way we view ourselves and words can hurt and people can be very wounded by the lack of respect or the, what they hear from other people say. But as that question points out, our respect, well, the, the solution comes, the respect has to come from somewhere else and if the respect comes from God, that frees us up to not be people pleasers and that frees us up to be empowered to do things even when we don't get respect from others. So as I shared earlier, there's a difference between um, real value versus perceived value. So often the respect that we get, get from other people gives us a perceived value and affects how we view and perceive ourselves. But there's a real value. And the story I shared with you last year is my dad used to work in the X-ray business and X-ray films are made from silver molecules. So by the end of my dad's working life, he had a pile of X-ray films 
which it was able to melt down into silver bars. And so we had like 15 of these silver bars lying at home, not knowing what to do with them. And so we used them as doorstops around the house. <laughs> and one weekend, someone broke into the house and they stopped buying large useless stuff like old gear, old clothes. And they did us a favour. They did a spring clean for us. But they didn't steal the silver bars. And we're thinking they must have thought they were just ornamental doorstops disguised as silver bars. And, and so th they had a low perceived value even though they had a real, still a high, real, absolute value. I think that question is pushing us in that direction that we can have a low perceived value from other people, but we still have a high, real value, and that empowers us to do acts where we don't have to be people pleasers and acts where we can go through suffering and hardship. There's a very similar question here, maybe just to elaborate a bit more. Christians say our respect comes from God. Should Christians avoid getting respect from others or from ourselves? I guess the question, the avoiding it. Should Christians avoid getting respect from others or from ourselves? Well, I think it's these either-or reductionist sort of questions that are pitting you one versus the other. But I think the Bible is much more nuanced, much more rich, much more both and. So it's interesting that the Bible says... Um, you know, Jesus can summarise all the commands in the Bible as love and honour God and love and honour other people. In other words, respect God and respect other people. So somehow our, our part to play is to both respect God and respect other people. So there are commands in the Bible, you know, honour your parents, respect what your parents have done for you, respect who they are, uh, and students respect your teachers. So there's, there's a lot of respect, respect, respect going. So obviously we're meant to give respect. So that bit is important. Do to others as you would want them to do to you. So somehow we are hardwired to still need respect from other people. So obviously we don't get it. That's not ideal. And because of the respect we get from God, we're still empowered to live and still cope. But in an ideal possible world, we still need respect from other people. And I think the Bible views this as important. Okay, slight change of tack here. What if I can't get my wife to respect me? Should I get a divorce? I don't know how serious the question is, whether it's a real pastoral question, it's a hypothetical question, which requires very, very, very different sorts of answers. Um, so I guess it's a real pastoral question. Uh, obviously, talk needs to happen, reconciliation needs to happen. And hear both sides of the story uh, but uh, maybe the question is d d pushing you the other way Well, on what is respect based You know, is it something we can demand well, obviously no um, it, but, but it, you know, it's interesting because my parents do a lot of marriage therapy they, they've been in it for about 20 years and that is the first thing that breaks down in a marriage respect so the instant you start feeling contempt or disrespect for the other person that is when the creaks and the cracks start to happen so it's a very serious question. Um, so I think um, reconciliation needs to happen with the help of a third party. And I'm sure you'd be happy to chat with people afterwards. Sure. If, yeah. Okay. Um, the parable of the division between the sheep and the goats at the end of time teach us that respect for another human being is respect for Jesus, a blend of the two great commandments. 
Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, the idea that uh, what we do for others mm. is actually being done for, for God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, not so much a question, it's a comment. And I'll just add to the comment. It's, it's interesting, like, the two commands in the Bible are uh, respect God and respect others. And what is the basis for respecting others? Well, the Bible says it's because these people have been created in the image of God. So each and every human being, no matter how little or small, is important in status and worth because each and every human being is in the image of God. And as we treat the least of these, it reflects how we treat on God. Uh, and so it's not just that parable that, that says that. Jesus also says to Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Says so Paul is persecuting the church. He's actually persecuting Jesus. And the basis of ethics in the Bible, so very early in the Old Testament, it says we should not murder. Why should we murder? Oh, because people are creating the image of God. And then in the book of James in the New Testament, it says we shouldn't say nasty things about people, which seems like a small thing, but why not? Well, because they're in the image of God. So from the start to the end of the Bible, uh, it, it teaches that the way we treat people actually reflects the way we treat God because each and every person, no matter how little or small, is in the image of God. And people often, Christians often like to say, oh, we don't understand how serious sin is because we don't understand how holy God is. But I would add to that, we don't understand how serious sin is because we don't understand how um, highly valued people are. Because sins aren't just against God, sins are against people. Often when we sin, you know, we've done something wrong to another person. But when we wrong that person, that person's in the image of God and we've also wronged God. So it's the basis of ethics in the Bible, the fact that people are in the image of God. Okay, this is the last question. Do we need to be more careful about saying God gave up his son or that mm. Jesus died mm. when Jesus is now back with God mm. and was not lost forever? Mm. Yeah. That's right. So um, it needs to be a rich, more nuanced understanding of the story. So not because Jesus didn't just die, he's back with God. And on top of that, Jesus was a very willing, happy participant in what happened. It wasn't like God just sends Jesus down against his will. Jesus very willingly goes and suffers. So yes, Jesus rose from dead. Yes, Jesus is, is uh, you know, back with God. But at the same time, the Bible uses that as a basis of moral injunctions for Christians. You know, you have been bought with a price. Uh, and, and that's the basis of much of Christian ethics as well. Just realising how valuable you are in God's sight. Anyone want to um, come back with another comment or question? We've got about two minutes. Um, no? Okay, well, oh, yes, great. Oh, I was wondering, Alan, you haven't heard a lot about humility, but how does uh, being humble yeah. make it important? Having self-respect doesn't seem to be a really virtue. Sure. Yeah. You're good. I, I so the question is, where does humility fit into this? Because humility is a Christian virtue, uh, uh, but how does this fit in with things like self-respect? So it's interesting, like, we are in this funny dilemma, aren't we? Where humility is a virtue, but respect is something that empowers us. And so, uh, and, and without God, that would be a difficult dilemma. Because without God, you have to perform to get respect. And therefore, you have to have achievements that you could be proud of to get respect. Uh, so, uh, but with God, I think you can get through the dilemma, you know, the both and, because... 
we are humbled by the fact that we are who we are, not because of what we have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. So that humbles us. But we're also empowered now because uh, the Bible says, well, look, you've been, look how precious you are. You have been bought with a price. So I think we get the both and with Jesus, humbled and empowered. But without Jesus, you'd have to either be humbled and not empowered or pr- proud and empowered. But you couldn't have the both and. Well, how about we give uh, Sam some extrinsic approval and respect uh, by giving him a clap. We respect you, mate. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.